We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning, and we're also going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, we'll start in Timothy, we'll move over to Matthew, and then we'll come back to Timothy to finish up. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it's okay. We're going to put it up here on the screen. Although I do encourage you to bring a Bible, whether it's a digital Bible or a paper Bible, just so you can follow along. You know, in the book of Acts, the Bereans, they were commended for not just believing everything that Paul said, but it says that they searched the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. You know, if we search the scriptures, if we're always after looking into the scriptures, it's going to be hard to deceive us, right? So let's be looking to the scriptures. Hey, there was a missionary that spent about 40 years ministering to the, the Marzatec Indians in southwestern Mexico. And during her time with them, she observed what uh, was some peculiar behavior with uh, this group of people. Um, they, were, um, they were really, really hesitant to ever tell anybody, not just outsiders, but people within their own tribe, to to tell them things like, uh, hope you have a good day. They were very, very hesitant to share any of their knowledge about anything with anybody. And they were very hesitant to show too much affection to people. Now, the reason for this was because they believed that what they called limited good. In other words, there's only so much love. There's only so much knowledge that can even be had in the world. So if you're giving some of yours away, you're going to be without. A little odd, isn't it? In other words, uh, I could not show you or teach you how to do something because if I was teaching you how to do something, I was taking of my knowledge and giving it away and therefore I would have less knowledge. If I had a second child, I couldn't love this second child the same way I loved the first child because there was not enough love to go around. And if I was to say to somebody, I hope you have a good day, what I was really saying was, I'm giving of my happiness to you, and there might not be enough left for me. Now, that seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? It's a little bit of strange thinking, but how many of us have a limited good thinking when it comes to giving? We think, oh, if I give some of mine away, I won't have enough for me. Because what we're believing is in a limited world instead of a limitless God. So this morning, we are finishing up our series called Money Pit. And if you've missed any of the, uh, the previous messages, you can go to ncctyler.org and you can listen to them there. And I would encourage you to do that. But this morning, we are going to answer three questions. Three questions about finances. Three questions about giving. And it really, it really is holding up a mirror to us to see where we are and what we're believing. And the first question is, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? 
And for everybody who already has Tina Turner singing in your head, you're welcome. Try to get that out. What's love got to do with it? We're in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And, by, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, first of all, uh, this, this, this verse is misquoted a lot. It says that, that money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the Scripture says. It says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now, this word love right here, and I'm, I'm going to do this a few times today. I'm going sh- to give you the Greek uh, definition of, of, of some words. This word love right here, this is the only time that it is used in the entire Bible. And the closest word that we can, we can find in the English language is avarice. And I know avarice is an, that's an old English word. We don't use that all the time. But it means an insatiable greed or a greed that just can't be satisfied. It means an inordinate, miserly desire to gain or to hang on to money. So he's not just saying, hey, I love money. He's saying, hey, there's something wrong right here. And you may say, I don't love money. (laughs) In fact, I don't have any. (laughs) But it's not just greed. It's a fear of not having enough. Therefore, making money the answer to all my problems. And in our Western world, we're fed this over and over and over again. If I just had enough money, I'd be happy. If I just had enough money, I'd be secure. If I just had enough money, I would have the house I want, the car I want, could take the vacations I want. And there's nothing wrong with houses, cars, or vacations. But it's where is our heart in all of this? See, what happens is we have some twisted thinking. Believing that money, not God, is really the source of my needs being met. Therefore, elevating money to the position of controlling my life and devaluing God's work in my life. There's even deeper lies. The lie that God won't provide for me. The lie that God is unjust in holding out on me. And the biggest lie of all, I can't trust God to be faithful to his promises. Therefore, I have to strive to make it happen myself. And striving is working harder. And there's nothing wrong with hard work. But when I'm working harder and I'm striving just to make more money, then I'm missing it. Worry is also striving. Worrying, will I have enough money? Worrying, trying to figure it all out so my problems will go away. Several years ago, well, it was actually right after the, uh, the economy crashed in 2008, I owned a business at the time, and as the economy went, <laughs> so my business went. And I suddenly found myself, uh, I had to, had to lay off some of our, our employees. Um, 
And we couldn't even pay ourselves some of the time. So here I am working a full-time job in media. At the same time, I am working uh, what we would call a part-time job as a youth pastor. At the same time, I took a job teaching uh, a Bible class at, at a local Christian high school. And at the same time, Monday through Fridays in the evening, I started cleaning Tyler Christian Preschool, the preschool owned by Pastor Sam and Miss Yvette. At the same time, I started cleaning the church on Saturdays. So I was a busy boy. But what was I doing? I was trying to meet my own needs. And it wasn't out of a wrong heart, but it was out of fear. It was out of fear that God was not going to fulfill his promises, that God was not going to do what his word said that he would do. So I'm just pulling and scratching and clawing everywhere I can to try to get enough money. And there was one evening that I happened to be at the preschool, and I used my time well. I'm being real honest with you. When, when I was cleaning the preschool, I prayed over the preschool. I'd wipe out those little chairs, and I'd say, Lord, the little butt that's going to sit in this tomorrow, i just bless it. I'd pray over Pastor Sam and Yvette. When I was cleaning the church, I'd, clean, I'd pray over the church. But I was there just mopping in the, in the preschool one evening, and, and I was praying. It, it's terrible when the Lord starts speaking to you and messing up your prayer time, isn't it? So I'm, 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 just, I'm just mopping. And the Lord speaks up on the inside, and he says to my heart, you're giving me a Cain offering. Now, for you, those of you that don't understand that, Cain and Abel were the first two children born to Adam and Eve. And Abel was a shepherd, and Cain was a farmer. And they both brought sacrifices to the Lord. But Abel brought of the good of his flocks, and Cain brought leftovers. So I knew what the Lord was saying. The Lord was saying, you're trying to be your own provider, and you're just giving me the leftovers. But allowing the Lord to change the way that, that I thought was preparing me for a couple of years later when he said, walk away from your business and go do ministry full time. If I hadn't responded correctly to the Lord in, in those moments when he was first talking to me, because I'm not going to tell you going, Lord, you're right, and I'm just, you know, I dropped the mop and walked out. I didn't do it that way. I was hanging on. It's like, God, I need this. Why are you trying to take this away from me? I need this. And I wasn't listening to God at first. Ever been there? So Yvette fired me. She's telling me to shut up. <laughs> Sometimes God has to use other things to get us moving, right? To speak to us. There was a donkey that spoke in the Bible, and I had a vet. <laughs> she knows I love her. She's laughing louder than any of you. 
But God had to start prying some of these things out of my hand and getting my attention because he was preparing me for the day when he was going to say, cut off half your income and go to the church full time. God was moving me in the direction that he needed me to go. But if, if my heart had been so wrapped up in the money, I probably wouldn't be here today. So, we can't have that, that, uh, that love for money. Okay, second question. i got to move. Second question. Here, can we slay the dragon? What dragon? The unhealthy relationship with money. Can we slay that in our lives? Now we're going to move over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19. And I'm going to move quickly through here, and I'm just going to take uh, some portions of, of the Scriptures. Not that all of it's not important. It is all important, but I just wanted to catch the highlights so we could move a little bit more quickly. So in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is our treasure? If my treasure is in an an earthly income, that's where my heart's going to be. If my treasure is in being my my, my own provider and I've got to work so hard to make this happen, that's where my heart's going to be. But God doesn't want my heart so wrapped up in something that he couldn't speak to me. Because there's going to be a day when the Lord may say, hey, walk away. Give up half your income. Go do something I've called you to do. And whether you believe it or not, every one of you sitting in here, you're called to ministry. If you're born into the kingdom of God, he has given you gifts and he has given you ministry. So our treasure cannot be in the things of this earth because what happens is we forget about the treasure that's supposed to be in heaven. But when our treasure is in heaven, I'm not tied to this. This is not who I am. This is who I am. My treasure is in heaven. Therefore, my heart is after the things of the kingdom. But once again, we live in a Western society where it says this. It says, you must be wrapped up in this. You have to make more money because this is everything that we're about. And our heart gets there. And we're trapped in this place. And we forget about the fact that all of us, Jesus was not just talking to his disciples. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. He was talking to lots of people at this time who may have been fishermen. They they may have been carpenters. They had jobs. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about this. Don't be wrapped up in this so much that you miss the kingdom. We've got to be about the kingdom. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. But if my my treasure is in wealth, that's what I'm serving. And if I'm serving this, 
What am I not doing? I'm not serving God the way he has called me and intended for me to be. Is this making sense? You can't serve God and wealth or even the desire for wealth. And you know what? Sometimes we say things like this. I don't really desire wealth. I just want to be able to take care of of my family and my responsibilities. And that sounds good. It even sounds humble. But it's really a trap. Because whether whether we're serving God for just a little or serving wealth for just a little bit or, or a whole lot, it's still saying, I'm gonna provide for myself. In reality, we're still elevating the need for provision above the provider. And that's not what the Lord wants us to do. Verse 25. For this reason, I say, do not be worried about your life. For what reason? The fact that you can't be bound to money either through pride or through worry and truly follow the plan that God desires for you. And he says, do not be worried. The King James says, take no thought. Now, for some of you, that's easy. You can thought in your head. I'm trying to lighten this up a little bit because y'all are staring at me like, oh, my gosh. Take no thought. Here's another Greek word for you. That word thought, translated, to be anxious, comes from tr- two root words, to divide and to distract. So when he's saying, don't be worried, he's saying, don't be divided, don't be distracted. Moving on to verse 31. Once again, he tells us, do not worry. Do not worry. Then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for clothing? When the Lord begins to speak to us, we start trying to rationalize all kinds of things, don't we? Well, Lord, if I listen to you, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? What am I going to do about this? See, sometimes we, we, we've got this, this heart. Lord, if, if I just win the lottery, I'll tithe on it. And if you win the lottery, we'll take your tithe. Not above it. Once again, we're looking to something else to provide. One of these days, Lord, one of these days I will have enough money that I can give. One of these days I'll have enough that I can do this. And the Lord wants you today. Wherever you happen to be right now, we start right now. Because God's not overwhelmed by the amount of money. He just wants our heart. So don't worry, then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now let's break this scripture down just a minute. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not be divided. Do not be distracted by the things that you need in this life. For the Gentiles... Gentile means without God, okay? That wasn't just people outside the Jewish faith. 
That was anybody that was without God. They eagerly seek. They're anxious. They're divided. They're distracted, trying to get this. But your heavenly Father, the one who sought you out to adopt you into his family so he could pour his grace, his mercy, and his provision into your life, he knows that you need these things. He knows it, so don't worry about it. And then verse 33, we hear this one a lot. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Once again, let's break the scripture down. But, but what? But because you're in a love relationship with your heavenly Father, who has everything under control, because you understand that, Seek first. Seek first in your thoughts. Seek first in your actions. His kingdom and his righteousness. And what will happen? All these things. What things? Anything that you need for kingdom living will be added to you. And we need to seek the kingdom. And we need to be generous. And it's not just generous in the church. We're not, we're not teaching these lessons to try to give you, get you to give them. Well, I, I do want you to give more to the church. Never mind. Uh, but it's not just inside the church. We need to be generous outside the church. We have opportunities day in and day out to be generous with people. In 1895, there were a, a couple of college students that were desperate to, to pay off their, their debt, their tuition, to Stanford University. And their solution for doing this was to, to have a, a, a concert with a world-renowned pianist named Jan Paderewski. He was a Polish guy who just happened to be staying in uh, the area at the time. So they contacted his agent, and, and they set this up, and they were absolutely convinced that they would make enough money to, to pay off the concert uh, costs and pay off their tuition. The one thing was that the, the, his agent said, you've got to guarantee him $2,000. Now, $2,000 of 1895 money is close to $60,000 today. So they had to guarantee him almost $60,000. But they were so sure, this guy was so popular at the time, they were so sure they were going to make money that they went ahead with the concert. But when all was said and done, they only made $1,600. So embarrassed, they, they, they went in to, to see uh, Petruski, and they told him the whole story about what was going on and why they'd even held the concert in the first place. And they, they gave him the $1,600, and they also gave him a, a written promissory note, which is just a fancy way to say an IOU. And uh, they said, well, since we can't pay off our tuition, we're going to have to drop out of school anyway. So we're going to get jobs, and we're going to pay off the last $400 that we owe you. And Petaruski, uh took the IOU, he tore it up, and he gave him back the money, and he said, you go pay your tuition. And if there's anything left, you send that to me. He was being generous. Fast forward 25 years, 
And Paderewski has moved back to, to Poland, and he's actually the prime minister of Poland. And this is right after World War I, and Europe has just been devastated. And the Polish people were, were, were just poor, and they were starving. And, and Paderewski didn't, didn't know what he was going to do. At the same time, America had sent an, an official over to Paris to oversee the distribution of, of food and supplies and provisions to help Europe rebuild. And suddenly, thousands of tons of provisions and food started pouring into Poland. And Paderewski was so overwhelmed with gratitude, he decided to go to Paris and thank the official face to face. So he goes in and he meets the man who happened to be uh, future president Herbert Hoover, and he just thanks him. Thank you. Thank you for helping my, my country. You have saved so many lives. And Hoover tells him, don't worry about it. There was a time that I was a college student, and you helped me out when I was in a lot of trouble. You see, to seek the kingdom, we need to be generous. We need to sow seeds for the future by being generous today. Third point, third question, I should say. So we just answered, can we slay the dragon? But here's the question, can the dragon slay us? Can an unhealthy relationship with money be harmful? Let's go back to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It's the same scripture we just read, but we're going to break it down a little bit. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Here's another word for you. The word evil, the Greek word for evil means injurious harm, noxious effect. In other words, when we have this, uh, this out-of-balance desire for money, it's injurious to us. It's harmful to us. And some, by longing for it, have wandered from the faith. Another Greek word, faith, means conviction, persuasion of the truthfulness of God, reliance upon Christ. Now, let's put these two together. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and harm. And by longing for it, by longing for money, some have wandered away from their conviction, wandered away from their, their uh, persuasion of the truthfulness of God. Some have wandered away from their reliance upon Christ. Did they do it on purpose? No, what they did was they started becoming their own provider. When I'm my own provider, I don't need God. When I am making this happen myself, 
I don't need God. And my reliance upon Christ is harmful to me. In fact, it says, they pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's our last verse. 1 Timothy 6.11, just the very first words there. But flee from these things. Flee from these things. Flee from these things that would cause you to wander from the faith. Flee from these things that would cause injury in our life. Flee from this this overwhelming need and desire to, to be your own provider. Flee from anything that would keep you from seeking first the kingdom of God. Flee from these things. In the early 1900s, Western trappers started going to Africa and they would capture animals and sell them to the zoos in in Europe and in America. And one of the most desired animals at the time also happened to be one of the hardest to catch. It was a ring-tailed monkey, very elusive. These Western uh, trappers just had all kinds of problems trying to catch these monkeys. But the Zulu tribe, they didn't have any problem catching the monkeys. What they did, what they would use as a trap was a melon that was firmly attached to a vine now, this certain melon, the seeds of this certain melon, happened to be a favorite of these ring-tailed monkeys. And the monkeys usually had to wait until the melon fell from the vine, would crack open, and they would eat the seeds. But the Zulus knew this. So what they would do is they would just cut a small enough hole into the melon that the monkey could put his hand in. And when he would grab all the seeds... He couldn't get his hand back out. Now, if he was to let go of the seeds, he could pull his hand out. But he's not, let, he's not letting go. So he's fighting, he's kicking, he's screeching, and he's caught in a trap. And the Zulus would just walk up behind the monkey and capture them. Let's be smarter than monkeys. Let's not be easy prey for the enemy because we won't let go of what we think we need to survive. Let's slay the dragon before the dragon slays us. So what do I want you to know? Love of money is not just greed. It's looking at money as your provider instead of God. You can't desire the kingdom of God and desire money. One of the two will control you. Desiring money over desiring God's kingdom will cause us to wander from the faith. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel your faith rise as you determine to trust God more than money.
I want you to feel the freedom that comes when you stop worrying about provision. And what do I want you to do? I want you to stop trying to be your own provider. I want you to stop trusting money more than God. And I want to challenge you to take some practical steps towards trusting God with your finances. The first one, obviously, is tithe, give. A second could be, whether you're already tithing or you're just not to that place yet, give 1% more. 1% more than you're already giving. Trust God 1% more than you're already trusting Him. You know, Scripture tells us that when we bring the tithe into the storehouse, that the windows of heaven are open to us and that He's pouring out a blessing on us that there's not even room enough to receive. But once again, that just seems like something that's out there. Bless you. Begin to trust God with what He's put in your hands. Begin to take some practical step. If it's a dollar a week, it's a dollar a week. God knows your heart. Because there, there was a time in my life, and I've already told you about all the jobs I had. There was a time when I was struggling to give. And that 10%, that tithe, it just scared me. It scared me. God, how can I live without 10%? I'm barely making it with what I have. And the Lord said, what won't scare you? I said, 5%? And the Lord said, I'd rather have 5% in faith than 10% in fear. The fact was just begin to move. And it was amazing when I began to trust God with that 5%. It wasn't long before he had proven himself and I was able to trust him with the 10%. And then I'm wondering, why have I wasted all this time not giving him 10%? Because he's so good at 10%. God just wants your heart disconnected from the systems of this world that keep us bound. And he wants us connected to the system of heaven that sets us free. God knows you need money. God knows that you've got bills to pay. God knows that you have a job. But when I'm saying, God, I only have this job because of you. When I'm saying, Lord, I only have this paycheck because of you. And I'm going to use some of it so people will be ministered to. You know, there are, there are folks, not in here, I know it's not in here. There are people in this world. They complain about people that uh, receive welfare. Oh, they're just sponging off the government. Oh, they're just wasting our tax money. Yet some of those same people 
go to churches. They eat free donuts. They they drink free coffee. They sit in chairs they did not help pay for. Let's not be hypocrites. We don't want to live on spiritual welfare. Let's get connected with the kingdom economy of God. That's all I'm saying. Father, thank you so much for for loving us. We know that you don't need our money. But you know how often things try to trap us. So often how, how, how money seems like it's the answer to all of our problems. Well, Lord, we repent for trying to be our own provider. We, we repent, Lord, for saying, if I just had more money, I wouldn't be in this mess. And, Lord, we start disconnecting from the economy of this world so we can connect with the economy of heaven. Lord, we ask that you birth in us a generous heart. A generous heart to give. Not just give money, but give time, give love, give peace. Whatever the situation may be that we step into, Lord, we're we're givers. Because we know just because we, we give financially, Lord, sometimes those, those blessings that, that, we, that you said you would pour out on us, sometimes we need peace. Sometimes we need health. Lord, it's not about money. It's about our heart. We want our heart connected to you. We want to hear from you. We want to obey you. We want to follow you. And we want to be honorable with the things that you put in our hands. In Jesus' name, amen.